blessing to you. But before we go any further, let's spend some time in prayer. So if you would pray with me there, lift up your prayer request upon the comment section, write that down, uh, type that in, and uh, let's pray for each other as we move forward with the rest of this service. Lord, I want to thank you tonight that we can spend this time, this hour, in the study of your word. Lord, I honestly believe there's nothing more significant, nothing more important that we could be doing right here, right now, than to be listening to the Word of God and studying the Word of God. I read last night again where the psalmist said, I esteem thy word more than my necessary food, and that he loved thy word more than gold or silver. Lord, I say amen to that. Thank you, Lord, for your word which liveth and abideth forever. Thank you, Lord, that your word is the bread that feeds us spiritually. And you said man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God shall he live. May you bless our time of devotion, our time of Bible study, Lord, tonight as we try to record this and get it out there to our church family and to others, Lord, that are joining with us. That's our extended church family. Lord, I pray for your blessing upon the lesson and pray for your blessing upon what you put upon my heart to share with everyone listening. And Father, I pray it'll get in the ears and, and, and uh, into the eyes of those, Lord, that you want it to. And Lord, may you be blessed by it. May it bless us as well. And Father, we lift up our needs tonight, our prayer concerns, whatever may be in the comment section below, or what's upon all of our hearts, unspoken requests, things that you know about between us and you, Lord. We just lift up our needs tonight, including our nation including our churches, including our leaders, including those that, are, those that are affected by this virus and all that's involved, Lord. We just pray for your hand of blessing and healing and protection. And, oh, Lord, I pray that you would draw us closer to you in our time of need, in our time of anxiety or despair or discouragement, whatever it may be. May you draw us closer to you and not further away. Lord, may we not drift further away, but get close to you and close to your word. So Lord, bless us now as we continue this study. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Like I said at the beginning, I'm excited about what I have to share with you tonight. Uh, behind me is a chart that I've literally taken all over the United States teaching prophecy and teaching uh, a little about what I'm going to share with you tonight. Uh, obviously, it's overwhelming. I don't know how much you can see there on the internet, and so don't be alarmed. I'm not going to cover every detail. I'm not going to cover hardly any of it tonight. I just want to give you a little taste, maybe a little tease, about where I believe some of our Bible studies are going to be going over the next few weeks. Uh, and uh, this chart is quite long. I can't zoom in because of my limited uh, capabilities with my camera, uh, but uh, the, the chart goes from one end of the wall to the other. And it covers the history of the world from the Alpha Ages, the very beginning of ages, to the Omega of Ages, the last ages, and everything in between. And it's based on Scripture, and it's based on the Word of God, and so it, there's some of it that I want us to think about tonight, so I'm kind of excited. Uh, this is something that excites me and thrills me to be able to study these things and teach these things, because here's what I believe. I believe that we are in the last days, and I believe that if there's ever a time that we need to be reminded that we're in the last days, and what's about to happen in the world around us, it's now. We need to be reminded of the fact that God didn't leave us in the dark. He didn't just kind of uh, take the earth and, and take all of us in it and, and punt the earth like a football out into space. God has a plan and a purpose 
for all the ages, including the time that we're living in now. So before we go any further with any of that tonight, one thing I will do, and I started to not do this, but I'm going to go ahead and do it, is share with you something that I think could be a blessing to you. I reversed the camera, so I hope you can see this tonight. Uh, but this is a great resource that I would encourage you to pick up. You can get online or you can buy at a Christian bookstore. This is by Tim LaHaye, Charting the End Times. Uh, it's very inexpensive, and uh, it's done in full color. And of course, like any book that I would recommend, I may not agree with every single thing in it. But if you want to know a lot about what I'm talking about in your own study, in your own spare time, I would encourage you to get a copy of this. Uh, just like the chart I have up here, there's a large chart in the front of this book that's in full color. And, uh, and it goes right along with what we're talking about. And it's all, again, based on Scripture. And he based this off another book that is one of my favorite books to read and to study. And it's written by Clarence Larkin. And that book is called Dispensational Truths. And it's a little bit more expensive than this one. Uh, but even Tim LaHaye dedicates this book to Clarence Larkin in the front of this book. And I would encourage you to get these resources and so you can study in your own spare time and not just wait for a Wednesday or a Sunday to roll around to hear a preacher like me talk about these things, but you can learn them on your own time and study them for yourself with your Bible in your hand. So if you're looking to study more about these things, I would encourage you to get a copy of Charting the End Times by Tim LaHaye. And I hope you can see that there at home. And so tonight... I want us to take our Bible and we'll begin by looking at one of the greatest chapters on this subject of signs of the times in the Bible is found in Matthew chapter 24. So if you would, if you have your Bible there with you at home or wherever you're sitting watching this, I would encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 24. I'm not going to read the whole chapter uh, tonight because it is a long chapter. It has 51 verses. But I want to start at the beginning, read a few verses, skip around a little bit. But again, even with that, I want to encourage you to read Matthew chapter 24 in your own spare time. Because this chapter tells us exactly where we are and where we need to be reminded of what the Lord's plan is for us and for the future of this world and for the church, the nation of Israel, is found in Matthew chapter 24. If you want to know if we're living in the last days, read Matthew chapter 24. Let's look at verse number 1 together. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came unto him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? They're asking the same thing many of us are asking in times like these. Are we living in the last days? Is, uh, what's the sign that we're in these days? That's what the disciples asked Jesus 2,000 years ago. In verse 4, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars, and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these, verse 8, are the beginning of sorrows. Verse 9, he continues to talk about 
the persecution that would follow. In verse 11, the same thing he said at the beginning. He says, And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Verse 12, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And talks about verse 14, That the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. I'm going to stop there because there's so much in this chapter that we don't have time to get into all of it in one Bible study. But I want us to keep Matthew 24 open, keep our Bibles open, because I want us to think about some of the signs that last days, after all, that's what the disciples asked Jesus. They said, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Some people say that's two questions. I've always viewed that as three separate questions that are very very much connected with one another. When shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Here's what we know tonight. Jesus gives us a blueprint of the last days in this chapter alone. Now this chapter stands out from many of the other chapters about the last days, but there's many chapters and many passages in the Bible that deals with the last days. This is just one of them. Many books in our Bible deals with the last days. For example, you can see on the chart behind me, there it talks about the prophecy of Daniel and Revelation. Daniel and Revelation go hand in hand, two books that, that you need one to understand the other. They complement one another. It's like a hand and a glove. They fit together. Daniel helps to explain Revelation. Revelation helps to explain Daniel. But a lot of people avoid Daniel and Revelation. They say, well, I don't know what to think about all this stuff about a Colossus and, and, and all the imagery and things that are mentioned in Daniel. And, and what about Revelation? All those seals and the trumpets and the, and the vials and all the things that are happening there. Well, some of that can be overwhelming. But that shouldn't ever lead us to the point where we just ignore prophecy. Because it's not just Revelation and it's not just Daniel that tells us about the last days. It is through and through our Bible. Our Bible tells us about the end times and the last days all through it. In fact, there's prophecies about the last days in Genesis. There's prophecies about the last days in books like the Psalms. The Psalms are full of prophecies about the last days. We get the books like the Minor Prophets. Uh, the books like the major prophets, we're talking Ezekiel and Daniel and Jeremiah, or, or books like Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, uh, Malachi, all these little books that are called minor prophets. Many of them give us details about the last days. Many of these events have already happened. Let's be very clear. Everything that God says will happen, will happen. If God says it, it's so. If God says it, that settles it. If God says He's going to do it. He's going to do it. There's no reason for us to deny it or to doubt it. And if God says these things will happen, they will happen. No amount of trying to study eschatology is going to fix that or change that. No amount of books are uh, written by authors or, or by professors or pastors or theologians is going to change one prophecy in Scripture. I like over, I believe it's the book of Numbers that says, uh, God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the Son of Man, that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Meaning that God, as another place says, God cannot lie. God says it, he'll do it. And so all the events of the world around us are not catching God off guard. God has a plan and a purpose for the ages. 
in our chart that we have. Again, I know that the camera can't see much of this, but the chart that we have begins at creation. And it follows the creation of Adam and Eve. And it follows from Adam and Eve the story of the flood and, and the story of the Tower of Babel. And it tells us the story of Israel and the covenant that God gave to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to Israel. It follows the wilderness and their, their journey, Israel's journey in the wilderness and the Passover lamb that becomes a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And like a timeline, it continues until Israel goes into captivity and they're there 70 years in captivity at Babylon. It's there where many of those Babylonian captives begin to, to prophesy and to write scriptures. Uh, and uh, we read about some of them like in Jeremiah and, and Daniel and others. And Daniel's given a vision of what will happen in the last days. He's given a vision of 69 weeks before the Messiah will come. And then a great week that stands out from other weeks. And in and, and the biblical way of looking at it, those weeks, each day of the week represented a year. And so we find that the tribulation that will last for seven years is called the 70th week. And we'll get into that another time. I don't want to overboard you with that information tonight. But the tribulation is a real thing. And the tribulation is going to happen. And the Bible calls it such. It calls it the tribulation. In fact, there's many descriptions for this time. It's called the day of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians 5.2. It's called the wrath of God in Revelation 14, 10, and 19, uh, Revelation 15, 1, and 7, Revelation 16, 1. It's called the hour of trial. It's called the great day of wrath. It's called the wrath to come. It's called the great tribulation in Matthew 24, verse 21, where our text was tonight. The great tribulation. It's called the tribulation in Matthew 24, verse 29. It's called the hour of judgment. Those events will happen. No matter how much we try to argue about when and where and all of that, it will happen. I had a man tell me, to, uh, uh, in fact it was yesterday, he said that he had written a book and was trying to sell me on the idea that God had opened up the seals. If you remember, in Daniel it says that the book was sealed to the last days. And he said that God had specifically opened the seal just for him. I'm not making that up. This man messaged me with this information. And he said that God told him, for example, those seals in Revelation, the first seal, the white horse seal, he said that's when 9-11 happened in our nation's history. And I read on and listened to his story and I eventually just had to delete the whole thing because it's full of nonsense. For one thing, the church and the church is still going strong. We might not be in a building tonight, but that doesn't mean that we're not the church and the church isn't called out. We're still here tonight. We're still here. And in Revelation, we find the seals open up after the church is called out in Revelation chapter number 3. And so that's one of the signs we'll get to in just a moment. But I'm here to say tonight that God's Word is true. And as we take up more of this chart in the next coming weeks, one of the things I want to remind you as everything has happened, we know that these events happen to the birth of Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ, and we know that he rose again after he was crucified and we're getting ready to celebrate Easter and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we know that the church was in a mystery form and the Old Testament prophets couldn't completely understand God's plan and purpose to use the Gentiles and to use the church age. 
And that mystery was given to the Apostle Paul. And he speaks about the mystery of the church, one of the seven mysteries in the New Testament. And so it's in a mystery form, but we exist. We're here tonight. We are blood-bought children of God. And thank God He saved us. And we're now part of the time of the fullness of Gentiles that Romans chapter 11 speaks about. And uh, we read about in other places. We are part of this. And we are now just about to this point here. You say, Brother Ben, how do you know that? Well, right after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the birth of the church and the, the day of Pentecost coming upon the church. We read about that there's coming a time in which the dead in Christ shall rise first. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. And that event is fixing to happen where the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come for the church. And until then the church has been existing for over 2,000 years. Now, we don't know how long exactly because the calendars have been changed, and that's a whole other subject. But here's what I believe. We are closer than we think we are. You say, Brother Ben, how can you possibly know that we're closer than we think we are? Because the Bible gives us signs of the times. I can know tonight that we're right here, just about where the Lord's coming back. Now, I can't stand here and, and be a false prophet and tell you a date. In fact, in Matthew chapter four, uh, 24, Jesus makes that very clear. And he says, No man knoweth the day or the hour the Son of Man cometh. Verse 36, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels, but my Father only. Verse 42, Watch therefore, for you know not at what hour your Lord doth come. In verse 44, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour, as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Uh, verse 50, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him and in an hour that he is not aware of. Over and over and over. The Lord says no one will know the day or the hour. I can't stand here before you tonight and say Jesus Christ is coming on May the 18th of 2020. I don't know that. Nobody knows that. But here's what I do know. His coming is close. His coming is near. His coming is sooner than we think, not further away. How can we know that? Because God gives us these signs of the times. And we can be looking for these signs that God gives us in His holy, precious Word. I think about a chart like this, like I said at the beginning, can be a little overwhelming. But it reminds me of the map that's in a, maybe a, like a mall, for example, or an airport. For me, it's usually like the mall. And my wife will split up with me going shopping in the mall. And, and she'll say, Ben, I'm going to go over to uh, Bath and Body Works or something like that. I don't want to go in there. So where am I supposed to go? I find some place in the mall to go to. And I don't know exactly where to go, so I wander around. And then I'm thinking, okay, I know my wife said that she is at Bath and Body Works. Now, how in the world do I get there? And so... I do something that most of us men don't like to do. I look at a map. And I'll go find, usually at the entrance of a mall, will be a, a, a map that is there behind plastic or behind glass. And on the map, it'll say something like, you are here. And there'll be like a little arrow, maybe a red arrow or something there that says, you are here. And then it'll tell you where everything else is in relation to where you are. Folks, I'm so glad to know that once I find that arrow, I can find my wife in the mall. 
But even greater than, than that, God tells us we can know where we are in relation to everything else before us and everything else after us. God didn't leave us in the dark. He gave us His, His book, His Word, His Scripture so that we can know exactly where we are in relationship to the events of the world around us. And remember, none of these things catch God off guard, even though it might surprise us. So let's talk about a few of these signs tonight of the times. And I can't get into all of them. We'll take that up next Wednesday night, whether we're able to meet back in the church or do something like this again. We'll take it up again there. So I'll give you a few of them tonight. Before we go any further, let me share a couple of these thoughts with you. Revelation chapter 19, verse number 10. You ought to turn there if you have your Bible with you or write that down. Revelation 19, verse number 10. That verse says this. It says that the, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That means that we shouldn't be afraid of prophecy. We shouldn't be scared of it. Just because there's false prophets out there, just because there's people out there that are trying to make money off of people buying their books and buying into their hype about what they, uh, their visions and, 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 the, and the revelations they believe that God has given them outside of Scripture, should not shake our faith from the fact that the Spirit of Jesus Christ is prophecy. Prophecy is history written before it happens. History is His story. It's all about Jesus. From Adam... All the way to the end of the ages, it's always been about Jesus Christ and it always will be about Jesus Christ. It's to give Him glory and honor and majesty and power and dominion. It's His story. But history books are written after the events. But prophecy writes history before the events happen. In our Bible, one of the things that singles this book out from the supposed holy writings of other religious books is its ability to prophesy something that always comes to pass 100% of the time and never misses a beat. And everything that's happened in the past that was prophesied came to pass, and everything that will happen in the future will come to pass as well. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20 says this. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 20 says, Despise not prophesies. Despise not prophesies. What does that mean? Don't, don't do like this and say, I don't want to hear it or I don't want to see it. We ought to love it. That's a message of hope and comfort and assurance to know that God has a plan and a purpose for us and for the church and for the ages. And He's given us clues and given us details that we can understand if we trust God at His Word. You see, the suffering, the beginning of Jesus' earthly life, His ministry the suffering of Christ, and the glory of Christ that will follow are two totally different things. The suffering of Christ. Jesus died on the cross to suffer for the sins of mankind. But the glory of Christ, when He comes back with His saints, are not the same thing. He came the first time as a man. But the next time that He comes, He comes as King of kings and Lord of lords. For example, in, in His earthly life, he came as a baby, baby in humble clothes, but when he comes back the second time, he comes as king of kings and lord of lords, dressed in ma uh, majestic apparel, royal apparel, kingly apparel, not in, uh, uh, in a manger or in uh, swaddling clothes. 
When he came the first time, he came weary. In John 4 verse 6, as a man, he knew what it was to hunger and thirst and be tired. But in Isaiah 40 verse 28 through 29... Uh, he is untiring. He is God of God and uh, a God of gods and Lord of lords. He had no place to lay his head in his earthly ministry. But in Hebrews 1 verse 2, all things were made by him. And he owns everything that was made. And it's all through him and for him. John 1 11 says in his earthly ministry, he was rejected by his own. And his own received him not. But in Isaiah 9 6, he will be recognized by all nations all nations around the world will bow to Jesus Christ and proclaim Him as King. That's the message of prophecy. He was acquainted with grief. But now He's coming back as the mighty God. His royal robe was mocked. But when He returns to Revelation 19 verse 13, His vesture will be dipped in the blood of His enemies. And we return with Him. He was smitten with a reed in his suffering, in his earthly life. But when he returns, he rules with a rod of iron, according to Revelation 19.15. Soldiers bowed their knee in mocking Jesus Christ. But when he returns, and the Bible says, Every eye will see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindred of the earth shall well because of him. Even so, amen. He's going to rule and they'll bow their knee and acknowledge Him. Philippians 2.10 Every knee will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord of the glory of God the Father. He wore a crown of thorns in His suffering, but when He comes back, He wears a golden crown. We'll crown Him as King of Kings. His hands were pierced with nails in John 20. His feet were pierced with nails in Psalms 22.16. But His hand will carry a sharp sickle, in Revelation 14, 14, and his feet will step down upon the Mount of Olives. And the Bible says in Zechariah 14, verse 1, that it'll split and cleave to the east and west. And he's going to make his way into Jerusalem. And he'll go to the eastern gate. And he's going to sit on the earthly throne and reign as a literal king, visibly, literally, according to the word of God. He had no form of beauty. Or beauty in Isaiah 53 verse 2. But when he comes back again. He'll be the fairest of ten thousands. In Psalms 27 verse 4. He was laid in the tomb. When he came the first time. But death could not hold him. He's going to sit on a throne. And he's going to rule when he returns. As king of kings. And lord of lords. According to Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1. And all through the New Testament. I'm simply saying this tonight. God has a plan. And His plan will happen and it will unfold and much of it deals with prophecy and we should not be scared of it. We should be students of it and be encouraged to know that we are living in the last days. Let me share some signs of the times with you tonight. In Matthew chapter 24, we read in Matthew chapter 24, after Jesus went out and departed from the temple and he sat upon the Mount of Olives and the disciples asked him those three questions. Tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Jesus lists an order of events, I believe, that will happen in, those order, in that order, but no doubt it's going to happen. And we see it around us. First of all, is the sign of false prophets and false Christs. You see in verse number 5, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. It's a sign of the last days. 
Many shall come to my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. False Christ and false prophets, deception is going to take place. Now, anytime the Lord says something once, it's important. But He doesn't just say this once. He repeats it three times. In fact, if you look in verse number 11, and Matthew 24, verse 11, And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Look in verse number 24. And verse 24, And there shall rise false Christ and false prophets and shall, shall uh, show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they would deceive the very elect. One of the signs of the last days is a, a surge in false prophets and false Christ and false teaching. And do you know that most of the the false doctrines and the false religions that have been founded have been founded in the last about 100 to 200 years. I mean, when we talk about the Jehovah's Witnesses or we talk about the Mormons or we talk about uh, uh, so many different beliefs that are out there, that's happened within the past about 100 to 200 years in our nation's history, in the history of the world. There's always a new uh, philosophy, a new ideology. Scientology, I know, is big. Christian science is big. Things like that throughout Hollywood. It's a sign of the last days when we see false prophets rising. I mentioned a few minutes ago when I get an email from a man that tells me that God revealed one of the seals and opened up the seven seals specifically to him and that contradicts Scripture. At the same time, it fulfills Scripture. Because in the last days there will be false prophets and false Christs. Do you know that in the last 20-some years you've had men like uh, David Koresh that said that he was Jesus in the flesh incarnate? Do you know there's been men like Jim Jones that told his deceived flock that he was the Messiah, the Christ? Do you know that there's some uh, in Mexico, there's a man that has millions of followers who says that he is the second coming of Jesus Christ? You see, all these people are just fulfilling Scripture because Jesus said, first of all, false prophets, false Christ, are going to appear and deceive many. It'll be a time of deception. Boy, we're living in those times, aren't we? A time where people are deceived. It doesn't take much to deceive people. And we know that this ultimately, this deception is leading to the deceiver and the false Christ of all false Christ. And it will be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 3 through verse 12, tells us about the Antichrist that is coming to this world. And the more I've seen in the news, even in this past week, the more I'm convinced that he's just about ready to show up on the stage and on the scene. I read an article not long ago, it was just a few days ago, that said that they're even experimenting in certain places with microchips that, that go up underneath the skin, that somehow those microchips are like little mini robots that help to treat things like this virus that's supposedly spreading all over the place. It's a microchip that goes under the skin. I'll get to that later as we study about the Antichrist specifically. But we are getting ready to see that happen. In fact, there was an article this week talking about a digital currency that our government is trying to entertain the idea of a digital currency. I've shopped in places where cash is no longer accepted. Gas stations where you can't use cash. You have to use a number, a card. Folks, I'm simply saying... The sign of false Christ is all around us and false doctrine and false teaching. It's everywhere. 
First John chapter number 4, verse 1 through 3 talks about that there's many antichrists, many spirits of the antichrist has gone out into the world, but they're getting ready for the antichrist. It's a sign of the last days because he has to come, and folks, he is coming. The Antichrist is coming. That's one of the signs of the last days. Jesus said it in Matthew 24. He goes on to say in verse number 6, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Wars is a sign of the last days. You say, Brother Ben, there's always been wars. Well, that's true. But look at verse number 7 as well. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. It's going to be an unusual time where globally nations are turning against one another. There's always been wars, and that's nothing new. In fact, in the Old Testament time, it's, you read the Old Testament, and it's just battle after battle, war after war after war. You read about the wars with Israel out in the wilderness. You read about the wars with Israel as they go in the promised land under Joshua. You read about wars uh, uh, during the time of the judges and the Philistines. And when David kills Goliath, it's a time of enemies and wars. And it's nothing new in the time of Jesus Christ. Rome was in control. Rome was in power. It was a time of war. In AD 70, Titus goes in and destroys Jerusalem and, and, and Israel's dispersed as a result of the war that happened there. And history is a bloody history. A time of war. But we see a, an increase in war and especially, especially in, in casualties in war like we've never seen before. Do you know that throughout history, from the time of, of Cain and Abel, where Abel was killed with a stone, to the time of David, where he killed Goliath with a stone, and the times of the bows and arrows and the spears and eventually the shields and chariots and things of that nature, do you know that warfare was basically one-on-one, hand-to-hand combat, things of that nature? And eventually as uh, gunpowder was invented and as it was used in warfare with cannons and muskets and, and, and bullets and things of that nature, changed the whole landscape of warfare. But even after all of that, now we have talk of weapons of mass destruction. We've got talk of nations that have the biggest weapons. And the nations that have the biggest weapons run the world. And I'll be very clear. I'm thankful. Don't misunderstand me. I'm thankful tonight to know that America defends ourselves and defends our freedoms. And we should thank God for our military and for our leaders. And I'm thankful that we've got big weapons that protect us. But I'll say also, ultimately, it's not the size of a weapon that protects us. It's the hand of God. Because he said, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. It's not a matter of who's got the biggest gun or the biggest bomb or the biggest military. It's who has God for their defense. And we need to pray that God continually defends America. But we've got mess, weapons of mass destruction now that make the bomb uh, at Hiroshima and Nagasaki look like something small, if we could say such a thing. Warfare has changed. And it's not just the landscape of nation against nation, but we're in warfare in places like Iraq and places like Afghanistan and, and, and on the brink in places like Iran and North Korea and all these things that are happening around us. And terrorism is a new warfare that no one has known terrorism like we know it in the history of the world. Now we're fighting an enemy that is no particular enemy. It's not someone that's in a, a coat of an opposite color. 
like in the Revolutionary War days, but now the enemy could be hiding in a school or hiding in a public place or hiding at the workplace or, or hiding in a mosque or somewhere else or in a home. It is a different type of war, but the point is that war is a sign of the last days. And we see that even in the time that we're living in. You know, they say that there's been more deaths in the last couple of wars, World War I and World War II, than in all the wars combined in the history, recorded history of warfare. And you know, the greatest wars, and I don't say great in a positive sense, I'm talking about in proportion, in size, and in destruction, is not in our past, but is in the future. The worst wars are still yet ahead. But praise God, if you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you don't have to fear war, even though that is a sign of the last days, because we're trusting in the Lord to take us out of this world. The Bible also speaks about a time of famines. He says in verse number 7, that nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Let's just take that first one for a moment. Famine. Famine. I'm not talking about something that is ancient history. I'm talking about something that is a current event. You can get on the news and look this up even as I speak. That in Africa right now there is a plague of locusts that is destroying the crops. They even call it a biblical plague of locusts. Out in the Middle East there is a plague of locusts so bad eating up the crops there. They said that they don't even know how they'll recover with the millions and millions of locusts that are coming into the land. What does that mean? It's a time of famine. Why? We're worried about not being able to get to our favorite restaurant. And how am I going to get to Red Lobster or Olive Garden or the Steakhouse or something? And yet, do you know that about 75% of the world, they don't have an option of where to eat when they get hungry? They don't have an option of what restaurant or what type of food to eat. In fact, a great number of the world's 5 billion people suffer from a food shortage every day of their life, not just because of a coronavirus outbreak, a time of famine. Now, I know that the famine is going to get worse before Jesus comes again and certainly will be worse during the tribulation in the last days. But famine is a sign of the last days. Pestilences. Well, I don't have to say much about pestilence. It's all over the internet. Pestilences, diseases, sicknesses, things of that nature. Why, we're involved in that right now. An unknown, they even call it a pandemic. Not just an epidemic. It's global. It's in many countries around the world. People are getting sick. An unknown virus from an unknown source. I've heard all the arguments of what, what's behind it and everything else. The point still remains tonight. That pestilence is a sign of the last days. And it seemed like every time there's another one, there's one to follow. If it isn't, you know, hoof and mouth something, it's, it's bird flu something, it's swine flu something, it's, it, it, there's something constantly going on that's above the normal sicknesses that spread that are seasonal. And it's taken the lives of thousands of people. There are other diseases like HIV and, and AIDS and things like that that they still don't have a cure for. The Bible says it'll be a time of pestilence. And we're living proof that the pestilence that we see in the world around us is a sign of the last days. 
I read an article today that said this. Doctors are saying that one person with this virus could potentially infect 59,000 people with that virus. You say, how is that possible? Because one person comes into contact with another person. That person comes into contact with two or three or four other people. Those four, and it just multiplies. One person could, could infect 59,000 people, they said in this article. It's a time of famine. It's a time of pestilence. Let me move quick. It's a time of earthquakes. Now you say, Brother Ben, you're just one of those preachers that like to preach doom and gloom and trying to scare everybody into believing your way. Believe what you will. I'm simply telling you tonight what the Bible teaches. And the Bible says it'll be a time of earthquakes and diverse. That means in all places all over. Places that normally don't even have earthquakes. Well, let me give you a little facts tonight. These are not from a Bible seminary. These are not from a Baptist source. This is, this is something you can look for yourself. You can go to the National Geological uh, uh, website, uh, the U.S. Geological Society website. You can go to IRIS and look at the statistics there and look at the maps that are up to date, that are up to the hour of earthquakes around the world, world globally. Today, as I was studying in my office alone, reading these articles, let me share a few of these facts that are not from a preacher. These are secular facts about earthquakes. First of all, today there was an earthquake, a 7.5 earthquake in the Pacific Ocean. There was a tsunami warning, I understood, uh, for Hawaii and other places because of the magnitude of a 7.5 earthquake in the Pacific Ocean today alone. That's not all. There was last week a 5.4 earthquake in Utah. It knocked out power and affected the lives of thousands of people. A 5.4 in Utah. Uh, today there was, a, or, or this week I should say, a 5.4 earthquake in Croatia. They said in this article that the earthquake that just hit in Croatia is the strongest earthquake in their history in 140 years. 140 years they had the worst earthquake here recently. Do you know that on the news today, it talked about a swarm of earthquakes out in Oklahoma. In fact, there are seven earthquakes that took place in Oklahoma in less than 24 hours time. Do you know that there was also five earthquakes in Tennessee and North Carolina that was felt uh, just a week or two ago in less than 24 hours time? Do you know they also said in an article that seismologists are studying, uh, I believe it is uh, 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 Yellowstone National Park, because they said that there is a, a pulsating going on underneath the surface in that park, a place they said the size of Chicago, that is pulsating at an alarming rate, and they don't know exactly why it's pulsating or what's going on. I'm simply saying tonight that earthquakes are like a, a, a sign. They're, they're a contraction globally, getting ready for a their birthing pains, getting ready for a delivery. And as the delivery, you say, what's the delivery? God's going to call the church out. And when the church is called out, Jesus Christ is coming to set up a new heaven and a new earth. And when He does that, until then, the earth is crying out, wanting to be delivered. Romans chapter number 8. And so there's earthquakes. 
In fact, the worst earthquakes on record have happened within the past less than 50 years. Less than 50 years. Five of the greatest, most powerful earthquakes have been in the last 50 years in civilization. Jesus said, earthquakes in diverse places. Oh, I could bore you with a lot of statistics that I'm sure you don't want to listen to tonight. But we're talking about earthquakes that is so devastating, thousands of people are losing their lives. 3,000 people died in the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. Over 110,000 were killed in the 1948 earthquake in Turkmenistan. 5,700 deaths were reported during the strongest earthquake ever recorded in 1960 in southern Chile. Uh, we find that between 250,000 and 655,000 people died in 1976 in China when it struck there in a city that had over a million people. We find that uh, uh, in 2005, more than 80,000 people were killed in the 2005 Pakistan earthquake. Again in China, in 2008, 69,000 people were killed. Let's put that in perspective. I believe statistically the death toll of the flu last year globally was something like 35,000 and you might correct me in the comments if I'm wrong on that statistic but somewhere around 30 some thousand people from the flu. We're talking about one earthquake taking the lives of 80,000 of 90,000 people and above and the Bible says that earthquakes were associated with the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his crucifixion. Earthquakes were associated with the birth of the church as they prayed together. Earthquakes were associated uh, with uh, throughout the church history. And the greatest earthquakes that are yet to happen will take place after the church is long gone during the tribulation that's to follow. Earthquakes, Jesus said, in diverse places. Let me close just with these signs of the times. I've got many more I want to take up next Wednesday night. But let me close with just a couple more. These I want to share with you out of the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 12. Again, if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn with me uh, to, to the book of Daniel. So you can look at this for yourself. And you may have heard this before uh, from another preacher or somewhere else or read it for yourself. But in Daniel chapter number 10 or chapter number 12 and verse number 4, the Bible says this is a sign of the last days. God says to Daniel, but thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Boy, we're just about there. The time of the end. Signs of the times. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Now, if I didn't know my Bible was true for anything else, I believe I would know it's true and the prophecies are true just for that prophecy alone. Two things that Daniel is given as a prophecy of the signs of the last days. He says, many shall run to and fro. That's a biblical way of saying people will travel at a, in a way that they've never traveled before. Now, for you sitting at home thinking about this, I want you to think for just a moment about how we are living right here because that has been fulfilled in our lifetime. We've seen a great increase in this but also in the past 100, 150 years. Do you know from the time of Adam and the time of Moses, 
all the way up to the times of the kings, David and all them that were there, all the way up to the time of Jesus Christ, all the way up through the early church, up until the 1800s. If you wanted to get somewhere, you pretty much got somewhere the same way. You got there by a horse. You got there by a camel. You got there by a donkey. You got there by a boat. You might have had a carriage, or you might have had a, a cart, or a buggy, or a chariot. But traveling for thousands and thousands of years was absolutely the same way. As a matter of fact, the sailing ships and sailing vessels that Christopher Columbus sailed on are the same type, the same concept, just on a larger scale of sailing vessels that were used during the time of Solomon and used during the time of the fishermen, a commercial fisherman in the time of Christ. People traveled pretty much the same way. But then there was an explosion in the middle to late 1800s of knowledge and how people could travel, beginning with the locomotive engine. And all of a sudden, people began to travel by train, and that changed the course of everything in the history of travel. And from traveling by train, things began to change with the invention of the steamboat. And now all of a sudden, you can use steam power to power boats, paddle boats, along the rivers and, and, and other places. And then we had an increase of travel by the invention of the car, the automobile. And all of a sudden now, people that were able to afford an automobile, well, they only went a few miles an hour. And most families didn't own one, but now they could go in a different way than by a horse or by a mule. And then things really began to take off with the invention of the airplane. And you know that the airplane, the Wright brothers, when they took their first flight in 1903, think about that, 1903, mankind left the ground and soared with the birds for the first time in human history. And from 1903, 1903 to 2020, we have seen travel to the point where man has been able to get into space and even to the moon and beyond. Now there's talk of getting to Mars. You say, how is that possible? Daniel said one of the signs of the last days is men shall run to and fro. Now you can get in an airplane and travel all around the world in just a few hours, just about anywhere. They talked about traveling at the speed of sound and breaking the sound barrier. Now they're talking about the speed of light and things like that. But folks, listen. Travel has increased and it's happened in less than 117 years. 117 years. Travel has changed civilization as we know it. And you think we're not living in the last days? Many shall run to and fro. He also says this, and knowledge shall be increased. I'm saying that while I'm talking into a camera, an iPhone, that is recording my voice, that is putting a digital image on the internet. We have now the internet, the information highway, where before, and I remember, I'm still young enough to remember the days of going to the library and checking out a book and looking for my for the card for that book and finding the book, and now I can, with my fingers or my thumb, find just about anything I want to know in just a matter of seconds. We've got technology that has changed to the point now 
where we've got microchips, and that brings up, going back to the Antichrist, the sign of the last days, the Antichrist, and microchip implant technology is something that is not only talked about and believed, but it's something that is a reality, and they're putting it in our pets, and they're experimenting with prisoners and other human beings. Why carry a wallet? Why carry my ID card and my license and carry my social security card and carry my military ID or carry uh, my medical records or anything when I can put it on a little tiny thing the size of a grain of rice or smaller and put it up under my skin and my hand and I can just wave my hand and I can check out anytime I want. We're going to get into more of that next week because we are seeing these things around us unfolding to remind us that we are living in the last days. The last days. Now I'm going to close with this. And again, we'll take this up next Wednesday night. And maybe we'll get into more of this up here. But I want to close with this. The return of Jesus Christ. What we call the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Is not something that Baptists sat around and thought up and came up with this idea. It's not a bunch of seminary students or professors that came up with this idea. This is something taught in the Word of God. In the New Testament, we see it taught over and over again in the early church. They believed and lived their life in such a way that they believed Jesus Christ could come back at any given moment. The Apostle Paul said it's a mystery. I speak of this mystery of Christ uh, and the church. He said, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be chained. In a moment, moment in the twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. The early church believed that to the point where every day they lived, they believed that could be the day that Jesus is coming back again. Here we are 2,000 years later. And I know some of you may sit there and say, Brother Ben, preacher have been saying this for hundreds and thousands of years. Well, I want to, you remember in Second Peter chapter 3, that's another sign of the last days we'll get to next week. But as scoffers denying the coming of the Lord. His coming is sooner now than it was back then. But it doesn't mean He's not coming. He's coming. If you have paper, I want you to write these down and I'll be through with this. John chapter 14 and verse 2 through 3. John 14 verse 2 through 3. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 7. Philippians 3 verse 20 and 21. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9 and 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 through verse 17. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 5 through 9. Titus chapter 2 and verse number 13. James chapter 5 and verse 8 through verse 9. Revelation chapter 3 verse 10. Revelation 22 Verse 17 through 22. And there's more. But these are just a sample of verses that prove that they weren't waiting for the world to get better and better for Jesus to come back again. They knew things were going to wax worse and worse, one of the signs of the last days. But they lived with every day with the thought that Jesus could come back today. I don't know if you're ready or not, but I hope you are tonight. And that's why I want to start sharing some of these things because I don't know, we might, have, we might not have another week. We may not have another opportunity to have a service like this. We may not have another church service ever again. Jesus could come back before this night 
is through. And if he does, are you ready? Are you prepared to meet him? I don't set dates. But we'll see more of that more of that even next week. Jesus said you can look for the signs just like summer is drawing nigh outside the doors of our church. You can see buds popping up on the trees. Flowers are starting to bud and spring forth. And Jesus said you can look and see the signs and the seasons to know that summer is nigh. The coming of Jesus draweth nigh. When you begin to see these things coming to pass, don't despair. Lift up your head and look, for your redemption draweth nigh. We're going to get back into this next Wednesday night. And I want to encourage you to be in prayer for our nation and our leaders and prayer for our pastors and our churches. I certainly desire your prayers. We want to have a drive-in church Sunday at 11 a.m. If you're in our area, we want to encourage you to come and, and be a part of that. And look for our announcement later on about our upcoming worship service, which will also live stream as well. But until then, we want to pray for you and, and you pray for us. And thank you for tuning into this Bible study. I hope it's been an encouragement to remind you that Jesus is coming back again soon. And I'm ready. I hope you're ready. Let's make sure we pray, have a clean heart, a clear conscience, and we await his soon return. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you tonight for our time of Bible study. And I pray that you had been honored by the things that have Come forth out of my heart and out of my mouth. And Lord, I just want to remind each of us that we are living in very turbulent times. It's, it's difficult times. It's troubling times. But we know, Lord, that there are signs of the times. And Lord, you are still in control. And one day soon, you're going to call the church out. And until then, we pray that you'd help us to be busy doing what you've called us to do. Being a witness to others. And worshiping and being faithful to you. And the task you've given us. Thank you Lord for those that have listened. And will listen to this Bible study. And may you be blessed from it. And bless them as we pray this in Jesus mighty name. Amen and amen. Thank you for tuning in. And we look forward to future Bible studies. And worship time together. God bless you. And may you have a blessed night.